Howdy, howdy. It is time to get rowdy. Welcome back to the Bikes for Death podcast. As always, my name is Patrick. I am your humble host and podcasting servant here again another week. Thanks to all of you beautiful people. Let's start off by thanking this week's newest patrons who have signed up since last week's episode. We only have three this week, so if you typically skip this part, I bet you can make it to the end. So let's give a huge shout out to Ian Truesdale, Amir Hill, Nicholas Erdos Thayer, and that's it. Thanks so much for signing up to support the podcast over at patreon.com forward slash bikes or death. And welcome to the after party. The next bikes or death after party episode is scheduled with Andrew Onerma this Friday, the 27th at 7 p.m. That is a podcast for patrons only, and you will be able to participate and listen in real time, as well as ask some questions and get involved in the conversation. So if you're a patron, be on the lookout for the link for that next upcoming episode. And if you're not a patron already, there is still plenty of time to get signed up. Well, you have like a day to get signed up, but it doesn't take that long. It costs as little as a dollar a month, and it gives you access to the Bikes or Death After Party episodes, and it helps you sleep better at night knowing that you're supporting your favorite bikepacking podcast. All right, well, today's show is also brought to us by Ren Sports. A couple episodes ago, we had Cameron Sanders on from Wren as a guest on the podcast. That was episode number 83, and I got several messages from people that thought that it was the best episode yet, which I was very happy to hear because I was sick during that episode and kind of felt like I didn't do a good job, but luckily Cameron came through and, and definitely delivered. But today he's here to talk to us about their inverted suspension technology that they have at Wren. So Cameron, welcome back to the show. And I wanted to have you tell us about your inverted suspension technology, as I know that this is something that y'all specialize in. Yeah. Thanks for having me on again. So inverted suspension, we could talk about this for three days straight, but I'm just going to give you some cliff notes and where to go from there to learn more. There's a lot of reasons why flipping a fork upside down and having the stanchions suspend upwards into the chassis rather than from the top down, why that's advantageous. If you look at any motorsport or motorcycle companies out there, pretty much all of them use inverted suspension. In the mountain bike and cycling world, you see them mostly in like downhill. That's in part because weight isn't much of an issue with downhill bikes and getting an inverted fork that's lightweight has always been a struggle because inverted suspension doesn't have an arcing crown. If you look at any of our forks, you'll notice unlike other forks, there's no arc that goes over the top of the wheel. That means the fork has to be strong enough to keep things from twisting since the two legs aren't connected to each other with anything other than the fork's axle. So it's more expensive for us to produce the chassis and the stanchions that are strong enough to not have twisting forces. So that's one of the hard things to overcome with inverted suspension. So if it's hard to overcome, why is it worth trying to make work? Good question. Yeah. So when the stanchions travel through the fork, uh, on a traditional mountain bike fork, all the weight is down low. We call that unsprung weight. 
So when you're pushing all that through the system, it takes more of an impact for it to like begin to eat up travel. So your traditional forks are going to have to take a bigger hit before they find that they're going to move through their travel rather than an inverted fork. So regardless of how much travel we give you, what we're also providing is the ability to tune a fork that has a significantly better micro vibration deadening and dampening. So you could already imagine how this could be advantageous for bike packers who spend a lot of time on mixed terrain, especially if you go from single track to gravel and back again. If you're doing a really long trip like the Tour Divide or the Baja Divide, this fork is going to do a lot of vibration deadening at micro tiny levels that your traditional forks just don't have enough hits to really engage with. And what that leads to is a lot less shoulder fatigue, elbow fatigue, wrist fatigue, because your fork is significantly more plush on those initial impacts. That is one reason why it's really advantageous. Now, if you think about bike packing, besides just how the suspension is performing, think about all the modifications that we use to run water bottles or fork bags on the chassis of traditional forks. If you are using like um, the dryer hose clamps or the king cage clamps or, you know, one of the many other DIY hacks, think about what you're doing to your unsprung weight. You're adding more weight to your unsprung weight, which makes your fork harder. It's working harder and it becomes increasingly less sensitive to bumps. Now, if you think about our chassis being inverted, it's up top. Normally with bikepacking, you want your weight as low as possible. In this case, moving your weight up a little bit is still well below your center of gravity. So it's still a good placement, even if our chassis is upwards. But now we've essentially still kept all the weight off of the unsprung weight because your chassis is not the thing that's moving. So our fork not only feels better in terms of bikepacking and those kind of tunabilities to to micro vibrations. But as you load up the fork, it doesn't change how the fork is behaving in regards to unsprung weight, which is a huge advantage to an inverted fork system for bikepacking. Yeah, it actually makes a lot of sense, but I never would have thought about it that way if you hadn't just kind of spelled it out. But you're right, that is a lot of information. So if people wanted to kind of go research this for themselves, learn a little bit more about it, where should they go? So you can always go to, again, rensports.com and learn stuff there. We are in the process of doing a whole new website. So hopefully more interactive videos and content coming very soon. We actually had a video that we did with Ryan Duzer. If you haven't checked out his YouTube channel. He's an amazing bike packer and full of energy. He's been repping our Ren Fork now for the last year on his new Priority 600X, which is a bike built for the Tour Divide. And I had a longer sit down with him talking specifically about this subject. It's in Ryan Duzer's YouTube channel. It's also in the Ren Sports YouTube channel. And we'll put it in our show notes to make it super easy to find as well as the website. Awesome. Cool, man. Thanks for uh, coming back on and we'll chat with you next time. Yep, you're welcome. Okay, folks, and remember that when you're shopping over there at rensports.com, if you find anything you like, put it in the cart. Use code BOD10 to receive 10% off your entire order. Ching, ching, ching. Okie dokie. All bills paid. All systems go. Let's introduce the episode. 
Today is one I'm really, I was really looking forward to. It is with Chris and Marnie Plesko, who are the first couple to ever complete the Colorado Trail Race on a tandem bicycle. They lovingly named their bike the Parent Trap. And as someone who's recently become interested in tandem bicycling, this is one that I was following even before the CTR. I started following along as they were training, getting ready, getting their bike ready for their run at the CTR. And of course, I was glued to their dot the whole time. And I was really stoked that they agreed to come on this show and talk about their, their experience. I'm not going to give anything away, but I took a lot away from this episode. And, you know, there is a lot of fear about surrounding tandems a lot of jokes about how it'll progress your relationship either either in a negative or a positive direction there's all kinds of jokes and th i don't want to give them away but uh because they kind of get it we kind of get into them in the episode but i do want to say that i really really appreciated their perspective as a tandem riding couple i think that they have a lot of valuable insights that they share and hopefully will be helpful to other people out there that are wanting to try their hand at, at tandem or uh, or maybe you're the kind of couple that shouldn't be on a tandem and, and that's okay too and maybe we can just sit back and appreciate that there's people in this world that can actually do that together and it doesn't destroy their marriage. So anyway, I really enjoyed this conversation. I appreciated that they were parents, both have jobs and had to get really, really creative with training. And for me, how they trained is almost as impressive as their accomplishment on the CTR. But again, we'll let them tell you about it on today's episode. So enough for me. Thank you for being here. Let's have Miles Arbor take it away with the Bikes or Death theme song. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. You could be with your friends or you could be alone. You ride for a day or maybe more. You just love being in the great outdoors. Everything you need is strapped to your bars, including that new pillow you got from Santa Claus. And then you think, oh shit to yourself. You let that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf. Bikes. Well, today we got a special guest. Hey, they're all special guests, right? But um, I'm honestly super excited to have you all on the podcast. I started following Chris on Instagram, mostly because of the uh, tandem. I've, I've recently become very interested in tandems. And so that caught my eye. And then kind of found out you have the Tour Divide single speed record and some other things that we'll talk about. And I'm like, okay, that's cool. And then lo and behold, y'all signed up for the uh, CTR. And truth be told, my favorite dot to watch this year by far. I thoroughly enjoyed it. So thank y'all for coming on the podcast. Absolutely. Yeah, thanks. We're excited to be here and excited to have Jay on a podcast now. Yeah, for sure. You know, one thing that I am excited about is the tandem, but also the fact that y'all are parents and I, I'm a parent, I'm a single dad. And I think that 
that's a story that a lot of people can relate to. And so I actually, I asked if we could bring on one of your sons to uh, chat for just a minute. So for the first time ever, we've got a young adult. Is that a fair, a fair <laughs> young adult on the podcast? <laughs> uh, so JJ, thanks for coming on, bud. Real quick, tell me how old are you and uh, what, what year in school are you? So I'm almost 11. I turn 11 in like 10 days and I'm going into sixth grade on Wednesday. Oh, wow. Already, huh? Yeah. So my daughter is 11. She turns 12 in a few months and she's going into sixth grade. When did you say your school starts? Wednesday. Three okay. Days. Hers starts on, on Tuesday. So I was going to see if tonight's a school night or not, but not yet. You got a couple more, huh? So, uh, JJ, are you in any sports? I really love playing soccer. What else are you into? Do you have any other hobbies? Well, I like hiking. I don't know. I haven't done much this summer since it's been so hot. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, that's fair. With that being said, what do you think about what your parents just did, knowing how hot it is outside, knowing you know, the temperatures, the rain, the cold and all that. What, what do you think about this crazy trip that they just did? I think they're insane. (laughs) (laughs) Did you think they were insane going into it or did you, uh, did you kind of realize the insanity of what they were doing as it, as it kind of unfolded? I thought they were less insane going into it, but (laughs) after it, hearing all the stories and stuff, I don't know how they didn't quit. Yeah, that, well, that's a that's a wise perspective, and I, I think we will talk about that. It's really impressive, though. I'm curious, as their kid, do you think your parents are a little cooler now, or did they elevate any respect from you? Uh, yeah, they're a little cooler. Oh, a little. <laughs> Although they're almost forty, so they need every ounce of cool they can get. <laughs> hey, buddy. Hey, buddy. Listen, I'm 41, so that ship has sailed for me. And, <laughs> I'll be honest, I don't even proclaim to be cool or strive to be cool. But I'll tell you one thing, you know, that example that your parents set of taking on a challenge that is extremely difficult and not quitting is more important than being cool, actually. And so I think they are cool. I think they're awesome. And I have to ask you, JJ, do you have any interest in uh, tackling something like that one day? Does that interest you at all? I kind of hope to hike hike it with them one day. So yeah, you know they make uh, tandems with actually they make three of them right where you could do three people at a time. So <laughs> yeah, yeah. Would you do that? I think that'd be really difficult, <laughs> <laughs> buddy. The trick is you sit on the back and you let Chris and Marnie do all the work, or mom and dad. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can make it so I can just put my feet up and watch the view. Yeah, man. I did a bikepacking trip with my four-year-old and um, she just sat on the back and talked to the animals and sang songs. She didn't pedal hardly any. It was great. (laughs) And it's a good workout for the parents, you know? Well, I think Jay and and Ben are going to have some adventures coming for sure. He's forgetting a lot of the adventures I think he's been on before. He's actually done a three-day Colorado River trip in in his own pack raft and... uh, We've climbed the second flat iron from our house via tandem and uh, a whole bunch of other, a whole bunch of other fun little adventures. They hiked 
13 miles up Mount Albert and his brother to, and made the summit. So uh, there's, there's lots of fun stuff coming. I'm not sure uh, he's quite ready for CTR, but maybe someday. <laughs> I didn't specifically say CTR. I think there's probably a couple <laughs> levels before uh, CTR. It might not be advisable. That might be the ultimate parent trap right there. <laughs> all right jj well thanks for coming on bud i guess do you have to go get ready for bed what time is the bedtime for you over there i don't know like 7 30 or 8 ish well we're getting about there thanks for coming on the show jj yeah it was fun good it was fun (laughs) for me too so uh yeah he's just underplaying all of his accomplishments huh yeah 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 him and his brother are are quite the little adventurers but you know definitely from a kid perspective right one day it's super fun and they want to do it and the next day it's hard so they're uh you know they're still learning but they've had a lot of really cool adventures so far and i think there's lots more to come so how do your kids take to those kind of harder adventures i mean you spoke to i mean i've done it i've had kids and it's not always fun they can be cranky they can be hungry all that stuff so how how have they taken to it they are like minute by minute kids so they seem to take turns one will love it and the other one at that time hates it and then they flip flop (laughs) pretty much the whole time so it's rare that both of them are like psyched at once (laughs) that's funny yeah how how old is your other one your other uh, boy right yes he's almost eight so He's still pretty little. Okay. And he, like, you got to bribe him with fruit snacks every 10 feet. Like, come on, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> he's also the one uh, sprinting to the top of the mountain, you know, when the rest of us can't breathe. He's like, we made it. Now I'm going to run to the top. So that's pretty <laughs> funny. Which is actually more impressive because all that whining and stuff just burns in your energy. So yeah, he's actually totally. should be tired. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I tell him. Like, buddy, you're making it harder by whining about it the whole time. No, yeah. I'm not. <laughs> That's funny. Well, it is a uh, man. It's an act of love when you're a parent, really, to try to pass that on. I don't obviously I'm just meeting y'all for the first time, but you don't just like accidentally take your kids on these adventures. It's it's a lot more work. It has to come from a place of love, a love for, you know, the outdoors and also a love for your children to want to introduce them to it. I just love it. You know, we don't have enough parent. Well, yeah, we probably don't have enough parents. <laughs> I don't want to like make a bold statement, but uh, I think we could look around and say that maybe enough parents aren't, you know, taking their kids outside and, uh, you know, teaching it to them. And we can maybe even talk about how, you know, the world hasn't, you know, been designed to really recreate outdoors. Um, but that's a whole another rabbit hole. So what what was training like, you know, being a parent? How were y'all able to... How were you all able to train, especially on a tandem? It was challenging. I think the pandemic really brought around a lot of changes for a lot of families. I know I've talked to other parents who were like, yeah, never left our kids before until, you know, there was no babysitters and no grandparents and nothing, right? And uh, so we would go for like a 15-minute run and make sure that everyone survived at home. (laughs) Um, and I think the pandemic kind of brought that on with, you know, getting us a little bit more freedom to kind of work around the neighborhood. And so that eventually would buy us, you know, an hour to go ride outside 
We also have a trainer and believe it or not, you can hook a tandem up to Zwift. No problem. Um, and we spent a lot of time riding on Zwift, uh, in the basement, you know, before work, after work, because we could be home with the kids and they could be sleeping and we could go for a ride. Right. We ran, I think a lot of mornings, maybe three, four mornings a week before work. Um, you know, get the kids out of bed, get, get them eating, go for a quick run come back and take everybody off to school. So, you know, just trying to find as many places to consistently work out from home or near home, that was probably a pretty big part of for us. Yeah, that's incredible to think about. That's a whole nother layer of uh, motivation and dedication to, you know, take on this challenge because, you know, let's be honest, I mean, riding in your basement on a trainer or, you know, just going around the neighborhood block, you know, a million times is not exactly inspiring, you know, <laughs> was that difficult or am I making it out to be a bigger deal than it actually was? <laughs> I think it was, it was difficult for sure. And I think it was a big motivation for this adventure because had zero time alone in the pandemic, because we were both teachers, we were teaching from home, the kids were learning from home a lot of the year, and we had no time. So these little adventures we could take outside was the only time we had with ourselves. And so we were like, oh, what if we could do a big thing of <laughs> multiple hours alone? <laughs> and it, it really inspired us to to want to take that next leap of like a big long trip because these little hours were great but we needed a little more time to be ourselves and not parents or teachers so yeah that's yeah. that's amazing go ahead chris yeah and, and thankfully you know eventually with the vaccine and things getting sort of more normal i mean i wouldn't say back to normal but more normal um, you know, Marnie's parents were able to watch the kids. We were able to send them to summer camp a little bit this summer, you know, not every day, but we did a couple camps and things so that we could have a couple week training block, um, you know, before the CTR to get a little bit more mileage on the outside. We had like a big overnight planned and it got, you know, canceled at the last minute. And certain things, you know, really relied on previous experience of being outdoors. We didn't get to test them as much as we would like. But we made the best of the training time that we had and kind of got as much training in as we could. And we finished almost every ride saying like, man, I wish we could keep going. So that was the thing with DTR, right? Hey, in nine days, in two days, in one day, you're going to get to keep going. And so that was super motivating too, right? Because normally we had to rush home. Normally we had to be home soon. Um, or normally we just had an hour. But now we got to spend 10 days together, which is something you know, we hadn't done in 11 years. That's interesting that after spending so much time in lockdown that y'all wanted, it's, you didn't want to be apart. You're like, man, we just want to be together away, you know, which is, which is a really good sign. <laughs> yeah, let's hope so. <laughs> I wanted to talk, you both in tandem, haha, <laughs> made post about, I didn't know this. I was actually, Chris, you had made a post about 
kind of dealing with the realities of coming home and which one was the greatest challenge, you know, the CTR or, or coming back to real life. And then Marnie, I was looking at your social media and I saw you had a really nice post about, you know, the recovery process and that transition between, you know, real life and, and, and being on the CTR. Maybe both of you can speak to this, but how has that transition been? You're, you're off the CTR, what, maybe about 10-ish days or so? Yeah. Um, for me, it was, it's a whole new experience. And I, you know, I've watched Chris come back from big rides, tour divide, CTR, AZT, stuff like that. And, and he would kind of go through a little funk afterwards. And from an outsider's perspective, I see that I'm like, Oh my gosh, you just did this amazing thing and have this great accomplishment. How can you be like bummed? But I get it. And, and it makes sense. And for me, I still have yet to have a night where I'm not dreaming that I'm riding bikes and it's getting tiring. Like I would like to have a different dream because I wake up just like exhausted from riding my bike in my dream and (laughs) him up because he's going to make me get back on the bike. Um, it's, It's like a weird double world of like, I go to sleep and I'm back there, but I'm awake and I'm here and I'm hungry all the time and, but don't want to just eat all the time because I know that's probably not good, but it's a weird experience to recover from this for sure. And I've been lucky enough to be home. I go back to school tomorrow. And so I've been able to be home with the kids and take a few naps here and there. And that's been, that's been a good thing. Chris, you already started work though, right? I did. Yeah. My school starts early. Um, and so I was back, uh, last Monday. Um, so I had, you know, what Thursday, Friday and the weekend to kind of recover as much as I could and, and get back into work. And, you know, I think Marnie and I are really lucky in that we love teaching uh, and we love our schools. I am super grateful to be a teacher and a leader at my school. So going back to work was not, you know, a negative, but it's really hard to make that switch from the trail back to being, you know, on out. Um, cause you're tired, you're hungry, you know, you're dealing with the emotional highs and lows of coming back, right? It's just such an awesome experience being on the trail. I think when I first started racing, I, I didn't love it as much as I do now. And now just that singular purpose of being on the trail, seeing beautiful things, riding, you know, eat, drink, sleep and ride is, it's really fun. And I, I treasure all of those times that I get to do that because I don't get to do it all the time. And so it's a little hard to come back. Not to mention, again, being parents of two kids who have missed you dearly in the two weeks that you've been gone, you know, and all the attention and connection that they need when you come home. So it's been great being home, but it's a rough transition for sure, getting off the trail and back to real life, especially now for the first time that we both are going through it at once. <laughs> um, usually it's, it's just been me and uh, everyone's pretty understanding of, you know, oh, it's... uh you know, 10 a.m., let's go get milkshakes. And uh, <laughs> so, yeah, it's been good, but it's definitely a big transition coming off the trail back to parenting and work. I think it's hard just to even socialize after being, you know, away and you're just not even used to talking to people. And you're quite, at least for me, you know, I'm just, I find I'm really reserved and not trying to be rude, but I just kind of like, it takes you a while to like get the gears back up to speed, you know, of like life. You're like, okay, life is going like this, you know, and you got to catch up, you know, and it takes, takes a little bit of time. 
Yeah, absolutely. You're drawn, drawn to those people who understand, right? You're drawn to your fellow bikepackers and racers or even, you know, people who hike long trails, right? People who know that, that sort of different style of, of living away from everyday normal society. And I think those people get it a little more. And I'm always really drawn to those people after these races because I think it's easier to connect with them and they know where you're coming from, right? They understand, you know, your current perspective a little better. Yeah, but that's the that's the thing is the real world doesn't care, you know, the gas attendant or, you know, your <laughs> your boss at work. I mean, they don't care that you're tired, hungry, grumpy and you'd rather be in the woods shitting in the woods or what. Oh, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to try not to cuss this episode so kids could listen to it, you know, so uh, That's all right. <laughs> that's all right. Kids, you know, kids can learn time and place, right? They they're going to hear bad words in the real world and they got they got to learn one way or the other. I appreciate your perspective. I don't shelter my kids too much. It's just, you know, but it's like, yeah, time and place is good. I'd like to um, get to know each of you just a little bit. So Chris, I wanted to start with you. It's kind of interesting that, you know, Chris, as I've researched this show, I think you've had or have the Tour Divide single speed record. You broke your own single speed record once and you had the AZT and CTR at one time. Is that correct? Yeah, I think that's correct. Um, <laughs> I still definitely hold the uh, Tour Divide record. There's a lot of awesome single speeders out there, and I'm waiting for someone to break it, but it's uh, I think it's been mine since 2009, so it's been uh, quite a ride with the Tour Divide, and I haven't got to go back to the AZT in a long time, so I'm sure that I, I no longer hold the single speed record out there, but... Um, I'd love to return someday, actually, and do the full race through the canyon. But yeah, I, I've been racing ultras successfully or unsuccessfully since uh, I think about 2007. Wow, man. It's so crazy that I, okay, there was no art. The only article I could find on you or either of y'all was about the tandem. You know, you've done like all this stuff and there's not been, and I, maybe I couldn't find it or whatever, but I mean, there hasn't been interviews, podcast, bikepacking.com articles, the local news didn't come and talk to you. Is it crazy to you that like now the tandem has like got everybody wanting to holler at you like, hey, let me slide into your DMs? You know, I've definitely had a few interviews and podcasts and stuff over the years and uh, but not a ton. And I think it probably owes to the fact that I've kind of come and gone out of the racing scene a bit, right? I raced a lot from 07 through 09. And then at the end of 09, I broke my ankle in an avalanche. And uh, I was a career changer. I actually was an engineer before I was a teacher and, and went back to school to teach. And so I've had some pretty long breaks from cycling where I've either done other stuff or, you know, gotten fat and out of shape and just lived, <laughs> lived everyday life. And then I, yeah, I've kind of been back cycling again since kind of 2014. Uh, and raced really hard through, you know, 2018. And then just, I've probably put a lot of time in, in my building and time being a professional. And, uh, that takes me away from racing here and there and, and same with two kids. Right. So I've kind of been in and out of the scene, but I love it. It always draws me back in. And again, getting to do this on the tandem was kind of just a neat twist on stuff I've been doing for a long time. Yeah, for sure. Your injury did it just take you away from being able to physically do things for a while? And then did you lose like motivation? You just got 
fat and lazy or, or what would happen? You know, I think Tour Divide 09 took a lot out of me, um, both physically and mentally. That was the biggest thing I'd ever done by far in my whole life. And I set a pretty big audacious goal to break Kent's record. And I broke it in a pretty huge way. I think it took a while to kind of find the hunger to ride again. I spent a bunch of years after the avalanche, you know, climbing really seriously, ice climbing, alpine climbing, you know, sport and rock climbing, and just kind of doing something differently. And that is where I spent a lot of my time, for sure. And then, you know, again, cycling just kind of drew me back in, single speeding drew me back in. And uh, once I get riding again, I just, I truly love to ride and I truly love all the places on a bike. So I think the injuries over the years have been, you know, sometimes they take a little wind out of your sails and a little time to recover, but it's just, for me, I think it's kind of the phases of life, right? Things ebb and flow. And sometimes I have time and energy and passion to put towards cycling. And sometimes that time and energy and passion is, you know, needed for my family or my work or other things. So yeah, I always talk about, you know, time and season, you know, there's a time and season for everything. And, you know, especially as you get older, have kids and jobs, you, there is only a finite amount of time and you really have to prioritize. Well, obviously job and family, those are at the top of the list and bikes can sometimes fall down uh, lower than you'd like them to. And that's just, that's just the way life works, man. I'd love to hear a little bit about your 2009 single speed ride, you know, maybe you give like a, an overview. I, I actually didn't get a chance. I guess I could have, but I, I never got around to like looking up your official time uh, for that as well. So I'd love to hear a little bit about it. Yeah, sure. So I um, kind of found the divide as it was really getting I was at the start of the 2008 ride with Dave Nice is a good friend of ours. And so we went up there with Dave and Jill Homer in 08, I think. And and um, I was going to do an ITT that year. So I didn't start with the race. I uh, actually started, I think, three days behind. And I definitely went pretty bold. I didn't have a sleeping bag. I had some puffy clothes and a bivy. And I don't come from a camping background. I don't come from an outdoor background growing up. So all of this was really new to me. You know, like the first time Fixie and I went bikepacking, I think I had a puffy coat and a bivy sack and we slept in the rain by the Colorado River all night on the Colorado Trail um, and got up the next morning and, and rode out for a while. And, uh, you know, so I was learning everything as I went. And ultimately in 08, I was unsuccessful on the divide and pulled out in Lima, Montana. And Marnie drove a long way, thousand miles up to come get me. And then I actually did the CTR that year. So I kind of came home, recovered a little bit. We mostly just went on some hikes of 14ers and stuff like that since, uh, you know, she was off work and, and I had my first successful CT run. Um, so then I followed up in the 09 divide and finished in basically 19 days flat, which was including the Canadian section. So I think the previous record was low 20 days, just border to border. Um, so Overall, I probably broke, you know, the time record. If you looked at the Canadian section added on by, I don't know, four or five days, something like that. And, and yeah, it was, I rode with Kurt Refsnyder a bunch of the time. I think I finished third in that race. Um, so it was Matthew Lee, then Kurt, then me um, with JP and Tracy on the tandem uh, mixed in there with us. So that was my first 
first sparked the tandem was watching JP and Tracy race in 09 on the divide and just seeing like, how oh, you can really do stuff on a tandem, which I never really seen firsthand. You know, I had a bunch of years away, started to get back and everything fell into place for a 2016 run. And I chased Mike Hall all the way down the continent on his uh, record setting ride. He's like 13 days, 22 hours. And uh, I was 15 days, eight hours in second place in 2016. Lowered my own record by what, you know, four days or something like that. Yeah. That's crazy. Did you uh, see that Lael just pulled out of the uh, Tour Divide because of the smoke? Oh, no, I didn't. But I was wondering if the smoke would would be an impact. I know her and Andrew were out there right now. And again, I I love everyone in the community. It's super fun to cheer people on. I raced with Andrew in 2016 on the Divide and have followed his ITTs ever since. And um, yeah, I'm bummed to hear Lael pulled out. That's uh, no fun. But the smoke is is serious. And again, like, you don't want to being a bike racer, ruin your long-term health over, over the smoke. So hopefully she's up. Yeah. I think, I think she's, I don't remember what year it was that she got like bronchitis and had to go to the hospital and then got back on the trail, but she's been on the podcast a few times. I think she's, you know, learned from that and probably made the right decision to just, you know, pull out, but it's just cool that, I mean, everybody misses Mike Hall. It's really neat that you got a chance to uh, to ride and and race with him. But you know, every every stab at that record is is really just a uh, you know a nod to him and and a tribute to to him and and his legacy. How important is your Tour Divide record to you? If someone, let's say Bailey Newbury, I don't know, throw out a name. Yeah, let's say Bailey goes out there and. Uh, you know, I don't know if you have ever listened to the podcast at all, but he he was on the show and uh, and made the the statement that he felt like the overall record could actually be taken down on a single speed. So, yeah, how important is is your record? Would you go back out and get it, or is it not that big of a deal? I mean, I'd be lying if I said it wasn't important, right? At this point, it's like, oh man, I've had this since 09. It's, uh, it's been a big part of my life. But no, absolutely. I, I hope that someone goes out and break it. And I agree with Bailey 100%. I think the right year, the right rider, the right luck, because the Tour Divide requires a lot of things to go your way. I think the overall race win and potentially the record can go down on the single speed. And if Bailey or Gareth or Hefe or anyone else, you know, that that loves to rock the single goes out there and and takes it down, I would be ecstatic for them and and super thrilled. Whether or not I get to make another solo run, you know, I think depends on a lot of stuff. Part of me really wants to do another solo run. But the realistic part of me also knows that everything has to fall into place with home and work for that to happen. The way that work, my work situation worked out in 2016 for that run was perfect to tea and i set up some stuff to make sure that i had the capability to train like that again because i probably don't right now in the same way so yeah you know maybe i think we'll see what happens if someone breaks my record i would probably be motivated to go back out but i'd also be just really excited for them it's such a wonderful experience and it's even cooler on a single and if someone goes faster they go faster you know records are meant to be broken and everything's going to keep progressing forward. And and that's awesome. Certainly I will not hold the record forever. And I wish whoever is the new record holder, all the luck in the world. Very nice. Very diplomatic answer. We'll see what happens if they really come and take it. No, I'm kidding. Right? <laughs> For I, sure. It's, 
I think you're right. You have a great attitude about it. All right, Marnie. So again, no, I didn't find any articles or not a, not a lot of podcast interviews or anything. <laughs> it's it's it sounds like maybe you're a little bit newer to ultra endurance bike packing. When when did you get into it? Did Chris suck you into it? How how did that go down? <laughs> yeah, um, it's definitely new for me. Being a participant, I've supported him through everything over all these years. And so I've been a part of the community, but I've not not done any of the races. So it's very new to me for sure. We've done biking together since the beginning. We we like to joke one of our first dates, Chris took me over to Batasso, which is about the easiest mountain bike trail in Boulder that there is. And I borrowed a bike and I sat down like halfway through put the bike down, cried my eyes out, said he was the meanest person in the whole world for taking me on such a hard bike ride. And now that we ride our bikes, it's, it's laughable because it's, it's like a kid's trail, um, basically. (laughs) (laughs) So ever since then, we've, we've done riding. I did shorter cross country racing before kids, um, time trial road stuff. And it was always really fun. We did some bike packing ish adventures. We did a three day tour of Cocapelli, which was awesome. And it was one of those like four days ahead of time. We had a couple of friends doing it, asked if we wanted to go. So we did it. And that was really hard, but we did that and um, have done white rim a couple of times, two days, one day white rim rides. Once kids came along, a lot of that got derailed for me. And um, it was really hard to support two people doing things with little kids around. So his latest tour divide, we had a five-year-old and a two-year-old. And basically, I my job was to drive all of them to Canada, drop off Chris, drive back from Canada with two little kids, drive to Mexico with two little kids, <laughs> entertain him while he was gone. Um, and that's been totally fine. I I totally accept that role. And it was really fun. But now that they're getting older, we've been able to sort of dig my bike back out of the shadows. And once we got the tandem and we were able to do it together, it was so much more fun than two separate bikes. We always joked that I could ride with Chris on his rest days. That was more my joke. He didn't say that. Of course, but um, You know, we're very different speeds and different riders. And well, your husband is uh, this tour divide single speed record holder. So, I mean, it's, is. Um, he's faster than a lot of people. He <laughs> is definitely. I remember riding after his first tour divide, we went out on our road bikes and it was probably, it was less than a week later and he is just riding down the road and just falls over on his road bike. <laughs> and that was such a great moment for me. I was like, look, I'm riding better than you are. <laughs> But yeah, he's always been really sweet and loves to ride with me. But the tandem took it to a whole new level where we could be more on an even plane together. And one person wouldn't have to wait or you can actually hold a conversation. So, yeah. So I think that got me thinking we could do a big, long adventure together because I wouldn't feel like I was holding him back and he wouldn't feel like he had to wait for me. And I think Marnie undersells her endurance too, <laughs> like uh just like on she has done so many of our big adventures like 
I wouldn't say off the couch, right? But like the training time that she had versus the training time that I've always had is pretty drastically yeah. different. And so our Cocapelli in three days was completely unsupported. You know, we we hauled everything from the start and she was putting in basically huge days off the couch on that ride and pulled it off with no complaints. We started running up through the pandemic and like she has never been a runner and like did a three hour run. No problem. Like just <laughs> crushed it in the middle of the pandemic. So I find that women are, I think, naturally better endurance athletes. I, I mean, I, I, if I had to guess, it probably comes from motherhood and just having to have like greater endurance and yeah, than, than men, like men, maybe like we have the speed and some muscle to wrestle down a bear or something, but women have endurance. I mean, they're like pain, what pain I'm, I'm going, you know? Yeah. (laughs) I mean, there's a lot of truth in that. And that's one thing I love about ultra endurance racing is it, it, it's, it's an equalizer in so many ways, you know, which I personally love about it. Marnie, I'm curious, what was the transition for you? I mean, you went from, you know, the first ride being a miserable experience where you're about ready to, I don't know if y'all are married or dating at this point, but it was almost over. Bikes, it was bikes or death. You were almost, <laughs> you were out of it. And, uh, and, and I mean, now you're going on Cocapelli. Now you're doing the CTR in a tandem. What was the transition? Yeah. For you. I don't know how I got over that first ride. I don't know what happened there. (laughs) That was a long time ago. But really just once we had that time where we could be together was so precious. And I think that really got me motivated to spend longer times doing bike rides because we could be together doing something we both enjoy and and it became a more precious time. So of course we want more and more and more of that. <laughs> and somehow that, that dwarfed into let's do CTR. Sure. Okay. <laughs> why not? <laughs> I can't help but ask, and I don't want to put you on the spot, but did you reach a level where these trips fulfilled equally in you something that Chris was getting out of it because your answer there you said well I got to spend more time with Chris and so that was a big motivator but what about your own personal love for the actual the bike packing and the sleeping outside and the hard stuff I mean the real it's really really hard stuff that a lot of people don't do you know it's kind of crazy for you know if you go to your PTO meeting you know and you're like what'd you do this weekend I did the Cocapelli. Well, I went to HEB. They had a good sale. You know, Target was a wreck, you know? I mean, I mean, that's the thing with these big rides is you have to have a motivation for yourself, like an inner driver. Because if I were doing it simply for him, I would have quit three hours into the race because like that, I love him, but that's not worth that pain. So it was definitely, for me, I saw it as something to expand myself as a person. And I live a very cush life of, you know, I've got an amazing marriage, really great kids, a job I love, a house, you know, a car, like it's pretty cush. And the idea of getting to set out on something uncomfortable was really appealing to me because I know that that's how we grow as people. And I, you know, at this point in my life, don't have a lot of those moments where I can really see like, oh, here's what I'm like when it sucks. And um, 
just get to the raw bottom of who you are as a person. So leading up to this, that was a huge motivator for me as I wanted to, I wanted to see what I could do because I know he can do these things in, in my heart. I know I could do those things, but I haven't had a lot of opportunity. So it was exciting for me. And I welcomed those like painful, miserable moments because I know that they, they were kind of showing me again who I used to be, right? Yeah. <laughs> Before I settled in and was more of a mom and a wife and a teacher, like back in the day, I was my own person too. So it was it was cool to reconnect. Yeah, you get to reconnect with your former self. Rebecca Rush was on the program and she said pain is a teacher or maybe, you know, difficult things are a teacher and we learn a lot about ourselves, you know, from it. I appreciate that answer. I didn't mean you put it on the spot, but oh, no, you, gave me, you gave me goosebumps. That was beautiful. Oh, thanks. Whose idea was it to tackle this, this brainchild, the tandem on the CCR? Whose idea was it? Who pitched it first? And how did that go down? I'll throw him under the bus. <laughs> under the bus. He pitched it first. I could tell you the exact spot on our local <laughs> trail that we were when we're riding the tandem along and and he kind of turned around. And he's like, so what do you think about the CTR on a tandem? And I sort of laughed. And and he said, no, I, I really think it could be done. And I said, all right, let's let's do it. Let's try it. And so he didn't have to convince me, for, but it was definitely his brainchild, I think, in the beginning. Now, Marnie, how familiar were you with what you just signed up to do? How familiar with the CTR and how difficult this would really be? Did you know that you were going to be the first people ever to do it, you know? Or did he leave that out? <laughs> no, I I I thought I was really familiar with it. I remember picking him up in Durango in 2008 and he was a hot mess. Like his <laughs> feet were bruised and gross and he could hardly move. And so I knew it was hard. I knew that on a logical level, I, I truly didn't understand it until we got out there. And I was like, I got this. And he's never sugarcoated it. He was like, this is hard. This is about as hard as it's going to get because we've tossed around tour divide. And he's like, this is harder. It's going to be harder. And and so I accepted that, but I don't think I truly comprehended the different sections until I was out there and got to see them firsthand. Now, well, Marty, we'll have more questions later, but this is the last one. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, for social media, y'all just uh, celebrated 17-year uh, wedding anniversary shortly after coming off of the Colorado Trail. So first off, congratulations. But my question is, did the tandem bring you closer? Do you think that 17, you are closer as a result of this experience? Or were you ready for a break and y'all spent 17, maybe <laughs> like in separate ends of the house? I'll see you next year. <laughs> Enough. Um, yeah, I think it was, it brought us closer together. And actually, it was kind of a funny joke throughout the trail. Like, we're pushing up Sergeant's Mesa and we're miserable and like hating life in general. And Chris would turn around and be like, happy anniversary, baby. <laughs> like, oh yeah, this is great. This is uh, definitely better than a beach would have been maybe good. But <laughs> uh, yeah, but I think it, we just love to be together and we, we always have. And 
we don't bicker. There was no fighting. There's no being annoyed with each other. We just truly genuinely enjoy each other's company. And so making it through like the freezing cold night where we were wet and just miserable at 12,000 feet. Still, we're like, oh, well, at least I'm with you. And and it was, I, I personally, on my end, I think it was, it brought us closer for sure. No, I agree. I mean, I'm happy to be home and I'm super happy to be back with our boys. But, you know, if we could have kept riding, I don't think not wanting to be together would have kept us from, you know, continuing on, right? If someone was like, hey, you can yo-yo the trail and uh, everything at home is fine. You know, I don't think we'd be like, oh, no, we're sick of each other, right? Like that, I wouldn't have answered. But yeah, we... I would love to do something like that again. I love to be together. I think 16 is better than 16, which is better than 15. And, you know, we're looking forward to as many more, as many more anniversaries as we get to have. Okay. Well, as a twice divorced dad, um, what is the secret? Um, I have no intention to get married again. Um, marriage, no, <laughs> you know, um, but I mean, I, I'm curious. I mean, y'all, y'all are cute as hell. Uh, and <laughs> you, I mean, I've interviewed couples before. This is not normal. It's not normal. Or I, I mean, you know, I feel like I've, you know, I have friends that are couples. Do, do y'all work on it or do y'all just, do y'all, have y'all always had a pretty easy, I mean, I don't think any relationship is easy, but yeah. you've just always like gotten along and enjoyed each other's company and stuff. We have, uh, you know, like anything, it's, it's its own form of work at times, but we met. I was 18, about to turn 19. He had just turned 19. I feel like we grew up together. So this was 17-year marriage anniversary, but y'all been together since the beginning of time. Yeah. Yeah. So I feel like we've gone through a lot. We've gone through the ups and downs of everything and everything in between. And, you know, we just... We like each other still. Yeah, it's cool. Hey, it's great. great. That's the tip, right? Is just start off with someone that you really like. That's it. Right, right. And and just, you know, you have to work on those things that are hard, right? Like we've worked really hard to try and be honest and open with each other, right? Like when you're on the CTR and you're freezing cold and the other person isn't, or when you need to stop and the other person doesn't, like it doesn't do any good to hold it in, right? Just talk and be honest and know that honesty is not a judgment of the other person. And um, there's a lot of, a lot of trust with our relationship after all the things that we've been through, you know, our, our life is, as Marnie said, pretty easy by comparison to many people's lives. And we're really lucky to have what we have and to have built what we've built, but it hasn't always been that way. And we've been through some times where we were pretty poor or we didn't, didn't have a lot or, you know, family was, has been sick and, yeah, and and growing through those things together has been an opportunity to make our marriage stronger, and so we tried to take that opportunity and make it stronger, and not and not tear it down. Well, it's like you said; it's um, every challenge is an opportunity to learn, to grow. You take these things from the trail, and they apply to life. And we talk about often how you know accomplishing something very difficult, you know, up on top of a mountain makes you very capable and prepared to tackle things in the real world. You know, you're like, Oh, okay. I'm tough. I can do this. You know? Yeah. And we, that's always been a part of our relationship is doing things where we had to depend on each other. Um, we've hiked 
28 14ers together we kind of have a, a lifetime goal of doing all of them together as a married couple and we've you know done rock climbing mountaineering stuff where we have to depend other to be capable and trust each other and i think that's been a big that always brings us together more is doing something where we have to rely on each other outside yeah. so I like to hear that. And that's the way it should be, you know, with a good partner. Um, those aren't times where you want to be bickering and arguing and, and having a fighter. You know, you want to be, um, depending on what you're doing, especially if you're like rock climbing, ice climbing, or, you know, doing the CTR. I mean, you need to be aware that those are real life situations and you never want to be the person that, you know, calls mom and dad to come pick you up or whatever. <laughs> <laughs> right. So I want to let's talk about the tandem itself. Uh, it was a beautiful bike, or it is a beautiful bike. Who's the bike nerd out of y'all too? Who wants to talk about the tandem? All right, that's Chris. <laughs> <laughs> I picked the color. <laughs> yeah, and we're going to talk about the color because I noticed the color coordination. Thank you. I don't know if everybody noticed, but Chris had the lime green, which was the bags. Uh, Marnie, is that a fuchsia color? I, I want to. Yeah, it's like it's a it's called like candy raspberry or something. Yeah. And so, yeah, I mean, even like the sunglasses, the helmets, the shoes, everybody was color coordinated. You had the patches on there for your two kids. I saw the bike was on point. So take it away, Chris. Tell me about this this tandem. Yeah. So first, thanks to uh, Andy at at pedal here in Denver. He's the one that got us hooked on the tandem with our powder keg. It's like three years ago. And we just kept riding the powder keg because it's a great bike and we still have it. The kids could ride it. And we started getting close to the race. You know, we was like, Oh, we're actually going to do this. You know, we're training and we've told people and you were serious that we're, we're actually going to do this. But of course it's the middle of the pandemic. So I'm like, well, can we get to upgrade the powder keg? So I start looking into what it takes to upgrade the powder keg. And I quickly realize I probably shouldn't upgrade the powder keg to the level that I want, I'm, I'm planning to upgrade it. So I get online and I find MTB Tandems. Uh, Alex Nuts, the guy that runs it. And I give him a call. And he is fantastic. You know, shout out to MTB Tandems. If you need a tandem, mm -hmm. um, you got to call him. And just talk to him and uh, he will get you a great bike. Um, so I told him what we were going to do. I think he thought I was crazy when I first <laughs> told him what I wanted. And I gave him a little bit of my background so that maybe he would think I was a little less crazy. But he helped me spec out, you know, just an amazing bike. Um, so it's a Fandango. It is a hardtail. But I'm coming off a rigid bike. Marnie mostly rides single speed rigid, honestly. And so... Marnie had a suspension seat post. There's an MRP ribbon up front on the, the Fandango. Um, so we thought it was a pretty cushy bike. Not to mention we're running 2.6 recons, uh, tubeless, low pressure. So coming off the powder keg, man, the Fandango is smooth. It rips on the trail. It was stiff in all the right ways and, and comfortable to ride. So we also had gears, which neither of us have done a lot of geared riding. And we went, you know, straight to Axis Eagle, um, you know, top of the line electronic shifting. And dang, it is sweet. I highly recommend if you can afford electronic SRAM shifting that you put it on your bike, even if it's GX Eagle, because 
it was incredible in the mud and the rain and the whole trail. I was skeptical at first, you know, when it first came on the market, I think a lot of people were, but I haven't had it. I haven't had ease shifting before I've, you know, played with it, but that's about it. And, but everyone says really great things, uh, about it. Every once in a while you do run into a battery issue though. So it sounds like y'all didn't have that problem. No, we carried two batteries. I had a spare with me. Again, the batteries are light. They're easy, but they last a long time. We could have done the race with one battery we would not have been a problem to do that um we did have a spare just in case but yeah it was it was fantastic i was a big fan and it probably even saved us in our crash because the first crash we had we crashed right on the drive side and i was like you know knocked everything out of alignment thankfully we were all right no no major injuries and i was like oh man is it still gonna shift is everything gonna work and it has that like sensor that disengages it, you know, when you crash on it so that it doesn't break anything. And yeah, it was great. Everything still worked. Uh, Alex Spector's great bike. Like we, we ran the dyno. I always run. So we ran a Sun 28 dyno up front. I ran a K light. I'm a big fan of dyno powered lights. Even as slow as we went, I really liked having the K light on there. Okay. Let's, let's pause and talk about that real quick. Oh, yeah, go for it. This episode hasn't come out yet, but I just had Neil Bachinko on and so I, my question was him to him was, did you, you ran battery, uh, powered lights, right? Like in my mind, and I have a song, I have song 28s on both of my bikes. That's, I run K lights too. That's the exact setup I run and I love them. But just in my mind, I'm thinking CTR is not a good fit for that setup. So, uh, tell me, tell me, I, I've never done it. You have. So tell me the truth. I mean, again, from my perspective, I want full power and I don't want to like worry about batteries when I go downhill, right? Like for me, that's the big thing is that when I'm going downhill, like I want max lights and I don't want to worry about batteries, which I have always felt the dyno gives me because as soon as you're kind of getting up to speed, even if you're not going 20, right? Even as soon as I get over eight, 10 miles an hour, that dyno is full power pretty much. Um, and I don't care when I climb. I think I did my first yeah. tour divide with like a 50 lumen headlamp. Uh, <laughs> and so like modern headlamps are so good that like we'll flip, flip them on for climbs or whatever at night and, and run them. Um, and so there's more than enough to climb by the light of my headlamp and the dyno gives me, you know, full lights on the road, full lights downhill, and I don't have to carry batteries for it. So in my mind, I love running the dyno for almost everything. If it's got real downhills. And, uh, you know, I know some people don't, I know some people like their battery powered lights and and that's fine too. But, um, for me, it works great. And again, you have to understand its limitations where it's going to be strong, where it's not. But for me, it's dyno is my hill and road setup, And that's a, a perfect mix. Did you run into any challenges packing the tandem that you didn't typically run into for packing you know your own bike i have gone pretty crazy light the last few races on the ctr like no sleeping bag foil bivy pretty pretty minimal kit so we brought a lot more gear on this ride than i normally bring so the tandem had a ton of packing space and that made that a lot easier but you know there's a lot of stuff for two people i think people look at the space on those bags and envision one person's worth of stuff right you know, the only things that we get to share is the shelter and a stove. And pretty much other than that, everything else is is doubled up gear. And so 
we had stuff, you know, packed in everywhere. I would say we, we didn't have a tr- had any trouble getting everything on the bike, but, but we used every bit of space that we had and, and we had backpacks for kind of overflow, whether it was food or clothes, you know, depending water, depending on which section of the ride. You even had that tiny little bag I saw there. I mean, there's just the tiniest little part in the frame where you, what was in that bag? That was tools, but honestly, that was more for like, you know, both of us really like need things to be symmetrical <laughs> and, uh, and to look right. And we, as Joe started plotting out the bags, we weren't going to put a bag there because it was so tiny. We're like, what could possibly fit in there? But we're like, it's going to look weird if there's not a bag crazy. there and drive us crazy. So, um, we had to make a mini bag and I, and I shoved a bunch of tools and stuff and, and parts in it and it worked, it worked, worked great. Yeah, no, I know. I noticed that we'll, uh, put some pictures of y'all's tandem up on the website and Instagram and stuff. So people will be able to, I'm sure, well, maybe not everybody's seen it, but it's got some pretty good publicity for sure. It really does stand out, especially with those bags, the, the electric yellow and pink man. It, uh, it's awesome. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a good looking bike. Maybe jealous for sure. So let's talk about this, uh, this year's CTR 10 days, 13 hours and 13 minutes. I'm curious going into it. What were you excited, nervous, regretting your life decisions? How are y'all feeling going into it? (laughs) I would say overall, I was definitely nervous, but excited. Um, was not regretting life decisions until we were driving to Durango the two nights before. And it was like constant lightning, hail, mudslides, rock slides. I was like, uh-uh, I can't go out of this. <laughs> and that was a few hours of regretting life decisions. But other than that, I would say I was excited, like 70% excited, 30% nervous. That's fair. What about you, Chris? I was pretty excited and a little unsure how it would really go when we put tires and feet to the ground for real on the CT. Like, again, as Marty said before, like I knew how hard the CT was. I think she knew how hard the CT was. I didn't know what this was really like, right. Based on training, like, you know, our pace was all over the place. Sometimes we could go almost as fast as I could go on a route. And other times, you know, we were two times slower than what I would do on a similar route. Um, A lot of times we were about time and a half slower than what I would do on a route. So there was just a lot of unknowns. Like we didn't really know how many days it would take us to get to Silverton and how many days it would take us to get to Buena Vista. So a lot of it was, you know, educated guesswork and, you know, knowing what to do if we couldn't make it here or there and, and kind of then just hope for the best and dive in, you know, no one had done it on tandem the only attempt that I could find that was anything serious was not successful and did not get very far. And I think weather had a lot to do with that. So, you know, nothing against that, that pair, they were certainly a capable pair, but um, we tried it late in the season after it had started snowing and uh, Sam and Katie Newberry, who have done the divide tandem, they did the rate, the underground race, the Colorado endurance series race that goes from, you know, the highway to Durango and it took them like 13 hours to do that, which is not a slow time, you know, not as fast as the winners, but not a slow time. So we thought it could be done, but we didn't really know. So there was just a lot of uncertainty leading up to the race of like, how's this actually going to go when we, when we leave? <laughs> this is probably a good question for you, Chris, but I mean, expectation versus reality for 
you know, were you faster than you thought? Did it go better overall than you thought it would? I mean, you've done it before again, so yeah. you know exactly what you have in store. Marnie gets the the privilege of of going in blind, which can be a blessing, you know. <laughs> it was for sure. I think that we did better than I thought overall. Honestly, if the weather hadn't really pounded us the last few days, we'd have likely been in a, a day or more earlier. And, and again, it, you know, knowing what we know now, if we ever did it, this course again. I think there's some significant time to be saved off of, you know, our time. We were also fairly conservative knowing like, hey, we just want to get to the finish. And so if it versus stop and sleep a little longer, we aired on the side of caution for this race. But in many ways, I think we did better than I thought. Going in, I said, if we can get to Spring Creek Pass, you know, the end of segment 22 on it on our, our third evening, I said, if we can get there, we can do this. And we got there and we felt really good about life overall. And I think we were pretty confident, at least not that, you know, something wouldn't go wrong and, and stop us, but that we thought it was it was possible at that point. Yeah. Marty, what about you? So you had a completely different, you know, set of experiences going into this. You'd only seen the after effect of what Chris had gone through and heard about it. So what was your expectation versus reality on the trail? Uh, I would say it was overall pretty similar. It was a lot more hiking than I expected, but that wasn't necessarily a bad thing. Again, the weather threw some wrenches in what I thought it was going to be like. If the weather was perfect, it would have been more on par expecting, but I would say overall it was pretty similar. I tend to over, I don't know, dramatize things in my, so I'm not disappointed you know so I think like the worst and hope it's better and so I think I thought the worst and it was it was like pretty close <laughs> so it was good I was actually prepared for it it didn't like uh surprise me plenty in a lot of spots but it was good describe what the worst is i mean what was you know i was thinking about you know you, i talked to nil belchinko and it's like he's out there for four days y'all are out there another six days so that's a whole nother weather system coming through so um yeah what were the conditions <laughs> like <laughs> well it was yeah. it was rainy and was lots rainy. of lots of rain lots of thunderstorms lots of rain for a lot longer than normal right i think yeah. we were both ready for like wicked thunderstorms to roll through and pound us or get hail or whatever, and then clear out. Right. And then usually evening is better. And unfortunately that's not what we got. We got a lot of like late in the day storms. So like starting to rain, you know, four or five, six at night, and then just not stopping mm -hmm. all night. Like we had a lot of times where it rained all night. Yeah, it was, I, you know, I'm born and raised in Colorado and what I have always known about weather did not hold true. <laughs> I was like, no, I got this. I know what it's like. No, it's not. It, I mean, it rarely rains for 12 hours here. It was, that was a new adventure for sure. So real talk, how did y'all deal with those moments? Because again, as Colorado re residents, that's not typical. That's not ideal. How would y'all deal with those moments? And and were there any any moments where you're like, that's it? One of y'all is like, I'm done. Take me home. You know. <laughs> I think we got lucky in that our third day on the trail was really nice. 
And actually most of the fourth day on the trail was really nice. So like we kind of had a rough intro. We got rained on the first night. We got rained on a lot the second day. We managed to get a room in Silverton and dry out. And then we had a couple days where the weather was a little better. Mm-hmm. So by the time it started raining on us every afternoon, evening, we were too committed to bail. We made a mistake one day, really marching up high, trying to get over Kokomo Pass and down into Copper in the rain. And we got both pretty wet, pretty cold. And, you know, it was a reasonably situation of like, okay, everything's wet. We're wet. It doesn't look like it's going to stop raining. We're, you know, somewhere between 11 and 12,000 feet. And we've got to stop for the night and recover because this isn't going to stop. And even if we push to copper, there's probably nowhere to stay there anyway. So, you know, we like just come together as a team, right? Like, okay, what are we going to do? You're going to do this. I'm going to do this. We're going to jump in the tent. We're going to get dry. We're going to, you know, do our best. And we just had to work together. You know, the benefit of two people is like one person is usually calm. So (laughs) that person can keep, you know, the other two, the other person calm and making it through that night was, was rough just because I was pretty cold. Marnie had a warmer sleep setup than I did. So I didn't sleep a ton that night, but I was, you know, warm enough that everything was okay. And uh, hey, what happened to cuddling? Well, we did, you know, we <laughs> did our best, but there there wasn't a lot of great campsites at that point. So we were pretty slopey on the, on where we were sleeping. So Marnie did her best to try and, and try and keep me warm, but it was, uh, I sleep on this like eighth inch pad and she had an inflatable. So she was, she was a lot warmer than I was. Again, we, we came together and stayed calm and made it through and learned from the experience and the rest of the, the rest of the trip, you know, we were just really careful with the storms. So like, if we're going to ride in the storm, what's our plan? What are we going to do if it keeps going? Where are we going to camp? When are we going to call it? You know, making sure that we were each warm enough to, to keep going. And I think that helped, you know, getting through that tough night. Because the rest of the time we were able to be pretty strategic with the storms and it probably slowed us down. We probably stopped a little earlier than we ideally might have liked some nights, but it kept us safe, kept us dry and, and got us to the finish line, which again, no one had ever done it before. So we knew if we could get to the finish line, that was a victory. You know, one thing that when I have talked to couples and, and you know, having ridden with partners myself, if one person's having a bad day or something, you can kind of just ride at different speeds. But obviously, y'all don't have that luxury. And there's lots of things to consider. There's, you know, do we keep going? Do we camp? Do we stop and take a break? Or I need to go to the bathroom? You know, all these things, you're, you're, you are locked in sync. How would y'all handle, who would make the call? Or was it always just team effort? Or how would y'all make those decisions on the fly? I think overall, it was a team effort. And if one of us needed something, we would just... We're both pretty efficient people in general. So we would try to take advantage of like, if one person had to go to the bathroom, we'd be like, all right, well, I'm going to go to, or this is sunscreen break. And we would just try to take advantage of those times when someone else needed something, we could take care of something for ourselves at the same time. That's really smart, actually. That's a great tip because there's always something to do. There's, I mean, self-care or fixing something on the bike, cleaning something. I mean, eating, you know, I mean, there's always something to do. So pro, that's a great tip. We definitely tried to do multiple things anytime we stopped. I think that 
Yeah, overall, it was mostly a team effort. We had a seven o'clock like set check in for every night, like at seven o'clock, we'll check in with each other and see if we need to be finished. You know, some days we were able to push past that some days we didn't get even to there because of the weather stopping us beforehand. But I would say the entire time, neither one of us talked about stopping. And so I'm pretty proud of us for that. Like, I didn't even have that thought in my brain. I don't know. Maybe you did. (laughs) It's it's mostly because of her, right? Like, I wasn't sure, having done this a lot of times, right? Okay, well, theoretically, if we need to bail, we could bail in Silverton. Or if we need to bail, we could bail here. And she was like so committed through the first couple of days of riding, especially with the weather being not great. That, you know, again, once we got to Silverton and rolled out that morning and we actually, we rode almost all of Stony Pass without walking, which was a huge victory for for us. And like, we got to the top of Stony Pass and I was like, all right, well, we're here and I know we're going to get to the other side of, of 22. And, you know, if she hasn't talked about quitting at this point, then I'm not going to quit. And so, yeah, really, it was just kind of off the table at that point. And it was like, we're going to do everything we can do unless the bike or a serious injury stops us from continuing. We're just, we're going to keep going and both had our low moments. You know, she would get low probably every afternoon as it got later in the day. Five o'clock. That was my time. (laughs) We'd we'd stop eat and just, you know, talk it out. Right. Like everyone has low moments, you know, quiet, quiet. If we need music, music, we do podcasts here and there too. You know, whatever we could do to kind of get through those low times. Cause we'd both go through them and, they wouldn't be at the same times. Yeah. And you know, the tandem loves to eat weeds. So anytime we'd stop, I, one of us would take the chain off the the back of the tandem and clean all the weeds out of the, out of the, the chain rings. Um, so that was, that was always something else to do. And when, when is it because the turning radius is so much greater that it, what, what, what's causing the weeds to get in there? No, cause you have two chains. So the timing chains coming from one side around a chain ring and the drive trains coming around the other side. So on a regular bike, when you eat a weed, it goes around and then it can fall out. But on the tandem, it goes around and immediately gets caught by the other chain. And so they get caught and shoved down the center between the two chain rings, between the drivetrain and the timing chain. So it loves to eat weeds and, and suck them. In. So it's a, lot of, a lot of weed cleaning in the in the vegetation sections, which is quite a bit because of all the rain this year. Yeah. I mean, really, you're just doing trail work, you know, okay. just cleaning the trail a little bit. I should get credit. I, I'm I'm thinking that they should honorary make you an honorary member or something of the trail association what kind of challenges did the tandem present hike a bike switchbacks i I don't know what what were the challenges specifically to being on a tandem i mean biking challenges switchbacks are are key if it's really tight or decreasing radius you usually can't make it if it's reasonably open or in radius turns we can make a lot of them a lot more than maybe you would think. That's a challenge. Um, and then the rollover clearance on a tandem for people who haven't ridden on, ridden them. Like if you have to wheelie drop on a regular bike, or if you have to pick the front end up on a regular bike, the tandem can't do that. So like if I can't ram it or roll it, it's not going to happen because the chain or the bottom boom tomb drags on stuff. And you can drag that chain over rocks, but there's a limit, right? And so, like, we were pretty cautious not to break stuff unnecessarily out there. So, 
you know, that's one of the biking challenges. Did you make any, uh, you know, you're the, what do you call it? A captain, right? The person on the front yeah. is the captain. Yeah. So as the captain, did you make any decisions that your co what is it called? Oh, the stoker, the stroker, right? The stoker. stoker yeah. Stoker. That the stoker was like, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> There was me, there was one that it was a really steep, like loose down. And it kind of once we were in it, there was no stopping. And that one, when I can see over him to the trail, <laughs> I'm like, oh no. <laughs> and so, and he knows, like, I think we read each other pretty well. Like, I don't even have to say anything. He's like, I'm sorry, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> We rode down a bunch of stuff on 10 mile coming down towards Breck. And we hit this one section that once I was in it, I was like, oh, oh, this is really steep. But once we were in it, I couldn't stop. Like there was no getting off. So I was like, get back. We're going to send it. I got I got it. I, I won't crash us. But like, it's going to be steep. And it was real steep. Um, but we made it. So. You know, I think when, when you're captaining something like that, especially as a married couple with children, I felt a lot of responsibility driving both of us and crashing both of us because I've crashed the tandem, you know, half a dozen times since we've owned it. And it's not like just crashing yourself, right? Like you're crashing your partner, you're crashing another parent and both parents are on the race, right? <laughs> so you don't want anything to happen to both of you while you're out there. Um, so I felt a lot of responsibility and I have a lot of technical riding skills. I've ridden these trails for a lot of years and am pretty confident in my ability to look at something and know if I've got an training on trails. We were pretty in tune to Marnie's comfort level and my skill level and, and what we could tolerate and what we couldn't. So having done it now, you, you've had some time to reflect on it. Um, I guess I have a couple of questions, but did you do you think you learn more about yourself or the other person or about your relationship? Big question. Oh man. Um <laughs> I think I learned more about Marnie, to be honest. I feel like our relationship came through really well. And certainly it was a great, you know, thing to add to our our history of our relationship. But I always knew that that she was tough and I've seen glimpses of it over the years on some of the rides and training and adventures we've gone on. But this was another level, you know, this was the hardest thing she has done by leaps and bounds. It was a lot of difficult situations, difficult weather, long days, 16, 17 hour days. You know, we might stop early, um, but we learned from Todd Johnson, stop early and get up early. You know, we were at two, 3 a.m. every morning riding and she went through it in, with flying colors. You know, she was so strong and so motivated and it was just such a great adventure that, you know, saw even more of how tough she was out there. Hey, Chris, you know what I'm hearing? I'm hearing you planning more adventures. I'm hearing you saying, wow, she can really do a lot of stuff. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I think we both would love yeah. more adventures, you know. Again, okay. anyone wants to come watch our children, <laughs> let us know. And uh, I think we tapped out the grandparents for now. <laughs> for a little while, yeah. I, I like y'all so much. Maybe what we should do is just trade. You know, I'll watch yours for a couple weeks. You watch mine for a couple weeks and we'll just trade, you know. Perfect. We need to come up with like a parenting co-op plan, you know. So. I, I, we do, for sure. 
Marnie, what about you? What what did you take away from the trail from your your first experience on the Colorado Trail race? I would say I as I hoped learned a lot about myself and what I'm capable of and my tolerance level is a lot higher than I thought. I'm a person who loves sleep and I was very proud of myself. I did not once in the morning complain about getting up at 2 or 3 a.m. and I was very proud of myself for that. But I gained a whole new respect for Chris and all the things that he's done over the years that I've always been his biggest fan, obviously. And, but I truly didn't know what it was like. And I don't think you can until you've tried it. And just the stuff he's put himself through and he'll like roll over in a ditch and sleep for on his races. And that, like, I cannot fathom pushing harder than we pushed and just a whole new respect, not just for him, but everyone in this community that I've watched for years, you know, watching Hefe and Neil and everyone. And I'm just like, well, I, I gave them a lot of respect before, but I truly get it now. I and mean, that's, that's a pretty cool place to be. Like I've, I've seen both ends, which is really neat. Well, now you get to give some of your yourself some of that same respect too, you know, some of that. And not only did you gain an, an understanding and appreciation for what Chris went through, but I mean, you went through the same thing. So yeah, that's pretty cool. I think uh, I'll draw on that a lot this year when teaching gets hard, you need to have a space in you that like, I can do hard things. It's going to be okay. <laughs> and so one more thing in that bucket to draw out is, is a thing. So. So, uh, what would be another good tandem adventure? I, obviously, I what my question was going to be: Will we see more tandem uh, adventures? Obviously, I think the answer is yes. Um, have you all thought or talked at all about what that might be? Any dreams? We did. Yeah, I mean, we have we have a a theme of of doing tour divide. I think we've wanted to do tour divide ever since two thousand and nine. To be honest, at least for me, on the tandem. And it was just sort of like a haha dream a long time ago. And, and once we started riding tandem and realized how much we liked it, I think it's become a more solid dream. The reality is is just going to come down to, you know, are our families ready? Are our children ready? And, and what's the right time to do that? You know, if it happens next year, that'd be awesome. If it doesn't happen next year, that's okay. There's There's time still. But yeah, I think in a lot of ways, Tour Divide would be an awesome way to experience something like this again in a way that's probably even more rideable right like more enjoyable too bc is awesome but it's not always rideable especially on a tandem but tour divide would be really rideable on a tandem right most of tour divide would be would be awesome on a tandem except for maybe the night but yeah it's just going to come down to you know what's right for our family and and our children and and when's the right time for that adventure so if it's not tour divide next year that's okay. There's lots of other adventures, you know, we'd love to go on whatever we can sneak away from, whether it's an overnight or a day ride or a couple of days, you know, whatever we can manage is, is awesome. And I think you'll see lots more tandem out of us. We've really, sure. really enjoyed riding it. That's so exciting. What about Chris for you? I mean, you've got a lot of solo uh, experience. What are you more interested in right now? Do you, do you have the itch to get out there and go and do it at your own? Or do you think you'd miss Marnie? On the bike, I'm super excited to ride tandem right now. It's been really fun. Marnie's at the most fun part of the, the learning curve, right? Where you get 
so much better so quickly. You know, not that she hasn't been a great rider for years, but pandemic and regular, like we've actually both got to exercise. We both got to run. We both got to ride. You know, she's gotten so much stronger in so many ways. And now with the CT under our belt, like she knows what it takes to do something like the divide or another race. Right. And she, she has that firsthand experience, you know, so from a biking perspective, I'm, I'm super into riding tandem. Doesn't mean I won't ride single bikes again. I, every time I get back on my single bike, I have a ton of fun and, and I would be motivated yeah. to ride it, but on solo adventures, I've been really motivated on foot. I did a solo run of the grand Canyon on the solstice last year. And I'd love to do Nolan's 14, some other hundreds and things like that on foot. Um, so I think I've liked to try some new things and it's been really fun to try new things and then get to do biking adventures because we, I also ride tandem with the kids, both Ben and Jay love to ride on the back of the tandem. So we get to ride trails together. So it's just been so fun to kind of use my cycling ability to ride with the rest of the family. My girlfriend and I have been looking for a tandem for like a year, but as you may know, um, they're expensive and it's hard to find one that, you know, is in both of your sizes and all those things. And so, man, after a year of looking, we purchased like an old Trek. I mean, it's not like super old. I think it's like 99 or something, but it's got like uh, gravel tires on it. So we can like take it off, you know, and do some gravel riding with it or whatever. But we got it for 500 bucks and it is sweet. It's like all, I mean, I'm telling you, it is a good deal, but we are beyond excited and we've talked about the whole you know being a couple and and doing this and you know all the fears but we're we're like not worried at all i you know we really enjoy each other um we'll see how it goes but i mean we're just i don't know we just like riding bikes we like being together and you know bikes are fun and so but for us soon to be new tandems uh tandem riders and for anyone else that's like maybe thinking about getting into tandem riding with their partner each of y'all give us one piece of advice maybe one tip, hot tip from the professionals. Um, I think my biggest piece of advice is if you enjoy it, do it and don't listen to all the naysayers. Like everyone will be like, that's crazy. Or people think they're making really unique jokes, but it, everyone makes the same joke like, oh, she's not doing any work back there. Or, um, oh, you know, you're going to get divorced when you get back. You know, it's people think you're crazy and I, everyone's like, oh, we could never do that and kind of make you feel weird for wanting to do that. But I'd say just do it and enjoy it and and enjoy the ride for sure. And I know that's it's cliche, but it's so true that every time we get out together, we enjoy it. So maybe on the other foot, Marnie, if you're not enjoying it, just let it go. It's like the Let one we go. bought. Exactly. <laughs> the one we're buying is from a couple. Obviously, it didn't work out, you know. And so, just let yeah, it exactly. go. Don't push it if it's if it's not working out. I don't think it's going to end very well. But yeah, the couples, the couples we know that ride tandem seriously, like they love it, right? Like they go out on the bike and they're they're having a blast, and the tandem makes that better. So if it's not making it better, maybe it's not <laughs> your guys' thing, and that's that's okay. But. You know, my tip for for starting out riding, it is just start on stuff that you feel real confident on and feel real in control on, whether that's bike paths, whether that's easy gravel, whether that's easy trails, right? Like start easy because even as a really solid bike handler, there's a lot of weird little things to get used to. And so by starting in a really low risk, easy place, 
everyone can feel comfortable and not so nervous. Like when we started, if we were going down a hill at 25 miles an hour, <laughs> she would be like, Oh my God, I'm going to die. Can you slow down? Um, you know, and now, you know, we we can rip down technical single track, right. And it's fine. But if right off the bat, every time she was scared going fast, I just ripped it faster. Yeah. I don't think she would have enjoyed it. Right. And so like, oh, yeah, just yeah. honor that everyone kind of getting used to it. And the stoker has to put a lot of trust in the captain. And so take time to run those, that easy stuff and build that trust. Cause the captain has a ton of responsibility. <laughs> <laughs> I like that last. <laughs> the captain has a lot of responsibility. Yeah, I mean, it is true, though. There's a lot of trust on both ends. Uh, well, no, there's mostly just trust on the stoker. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> as soon as that came out of my mouth, I was like, that's not right. Oh, my gosh. Well, I know y'all got a kid uh, that probably needs to be put to bed. And I uh, I could talk to y'all all night long. I, I really, really love you guys. And I wish we lived in the same town so we could be friends and go and uh, ride tandems together. But y'all rock. Y'all are such a great couple. And, um, you know, doing... It's just, you know, it's exciting, obviously, as someone who loves to do this kind of stuff to see other couples who are strengthened by these experiences and you seek them out as a way to strengthen your relationship and grow together. And it, and and not like you were saying about how, oh, you're going to get divorced and all the negative stuff you hear. I mean, y'all are like the antithesis of that. So thank you all so much uh, for coming on the show, man. I really appreciate the opportunity to get to know you all a little bit more. Yeah, thanks for having us. Yeah, it's it's super fun to get to share our story. And again, we we love to share with other people. So if you've got tandem questions and bikepacking questions and all that stuff, we're we're pretty open to to sharing. So you can more than welcome to hit us up on social media. I answer quite a few requests through like Instagram messages. Instagram is probably the best best way for me. It's at Pive, P-I-V-V-A-Y. There's a whole story about the name, but basically it's a made up word. Um, <laughs> but yeah, hit me up um, on uh, on Instagram if you've got questions or or want to know about things or we're pretty open to sharing our story. And Well, you did a, bef- I think it was crap. I can't remember now if it was before or after the CTR, but you did a Q&A on your uh, stories and it, you had a ton of questions and, and I read every single one of them. Great answers. I mean, you have a wealth of knowledge, so... Yeah, for sure. I always see like Neil making videos and like my dream is like, I'm going to make videos describing all that stuff. But the reality is I'm, I'm probably too busy to do that stuff. But I'm not too busy to answer a quick question on Instagram. So if you've, uh, you know, if you have questions or want to know something, hit me up. Don't be, don't be shy. And I'm, uh, I'm happy to answer when I got time. What about you, Marnie? If uh, maybe there's some ladies that might want to seek some advice from, you know, a fellow stoker. Um, are you on Instagram, Facebook? What's a good way if someone wanted to connect with you? I am. I'm also on Instagram. It's Mrs. Pive, that weird P-I-V-V-A-Y, um, or just Barney plus go on Facebook. I'm happy to answer any questions or listen to any complaints from trying this after they heard our story. <laughs> is private so you have to be a real looking person to yeah. actually get accepted but yeah if you if you look like an actual human being <laughs> that rides bikes or something you can you can probably yeah. get through her her instagram but uh mine's public i don't blame you, you can start there 
Well, Sarah and I might be y'all's first customers hitting you up with questions here pretty soon. So. <laughs> Definitely. Well, you have a place to stay if you come to Denver and we have a tandem you can ride. So. Oh, wow. We might, I would love to take y'all up on that. Thank you so much. Especially whenever uh, these COVID cases go back down, freaking gosh darn it. <laughs> we'll get out of it eventually. Yeah, yeah, we will, buddy. All right, well, y'all have a good night. Thank y'all so much for coming on. And I, I'm going to have y'all back on again. I know it because y'all are awesome. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Good night. Take care, guys. All right, all right. That was Marnie and Chris Plesko, and I am one happy camper. Really enjoyed that conversation. And like I said, I could have talked to them forever, and maybe I'll go uh, take them up on the offer and, and bum their couch one day. But truly an inspiring couple and a real example of how bikes can strengthen your relationship, and even tandems can strengthen your relationship I really appreciate how the tandem brought them together. And I mean, they were just a great couple, you know, I mean, they just want to spend time together and be on their bike together and they support each other and love each other. And after that long, uh, it's truly impressive. So um, not only are they amazing tandem cyclists, but sounds like they're pretty good, uh, pretty good at that whole parenting and marriage thing too. Maybe they could give me some advice. All right, well, that is it for today's episode. I want to remind you that if you enjoy this show, please consider signing up as a patron over at patreon.com forward slash bikes or death. Every little bit helps. It goes a very long way to produce this show and to keep bringing new episodes every single week. And also, if you like this show, don't forget to support our sponsors. This week's sponsor was Ren Sports. They have a lot of great product offerings now, and they have a lot of new stuff in the works that I'm really excited about that's more adventure and expedition bike focused. And remember that if you use the code BOD10 at RenSports.com, you get 10% off your entire order. Wow. Am I right? Okay, well, that's just about it. One, a couple notes uh, <clears throat> as far as the Bikes or Death store is concerned. If you've been eyeing our Instagram stories, you'll know that the Coffee or Death muggles are on their way from Amanda Panda. This will be our second round of these unique, one-of-a-kind ceramic mugs. Every single one is different. No two are the same. She makes them by hand and ships them to me with love, and we sell them to you with an equal amount of love. But last time they sold out in just a few hours, so we will be announcing those on Instagram and Facebook when they will be up on the website and available for purchasing. So keep an eye out for that. Those will be coming soon. And our titanium cups that I keep thinking will be here soon are in limbo. I dropped them off to our engraver. He told me it'd be a week. After that, he's like, ah, oh, maybe next week. And I just sent him a text message again. And he's like, ah, oh, maybe next week. And so anyway, what are you going to do? There's like one engraver in my town. And apparently they're busy. So we're just going to wait patiently because that's what I'm good at. All right, everybody, thank you so much for being here on today's episode. I've got another great one lined up for you next week, so I'll see you back here. But until then, thank you for supporting the show. Now go ride your damn bike. You load up your bike, you ride away from home. 
you could be with your friends or you could be alone you ride for a day or maybe more you just love being in the great outdoors everything you need is strapped to your boss including that new pillow you got from santa claus and then you think oh shit to yourself you left that super lightweight tent on the living room shelf bikes 